Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 214 of Yoga Land. Hi, Jason. Hi, Andrea. You're back. I'm back, and you are wearing a lot of leopard. Well, you know, I'm rehearsing my Halloween costume, my Carol Baskin's costume. Well, your dog's got a is totally on point with it too. You guys are both wearing the. Well, leopard. maybe she's gonna dress up as one of my tigers, which means you know what you would end up being. Um, What's the guy's name? I can't even remember. I don't know. The Tiger King guy. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited because you spoke to Andrea Jane and we're going to run that interview next week. I have yet to listen to it. It was an opportunity for me. I mean, it was interesting, but just being like very self-oriented and self-absorbed like I always am. It was really interesting for me to put more of my academic brain on. Mm-hmm. Actually, not more of my academic brain on, but my more political philosophy academic brain on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing it. But today, we're going to be really practical and talk about- Unlike all the impractical stuff we're talking about every week, week in, week out. Well, I meant the Andrea Jane conversation is going to be a little more esoteric, right? Totally. Yeah. This is going to be more practical. Yeah, I know. We're going to talk about knees, which I know I, I can just hear- the excitement crackling in the audience right now. I'm actually serious. I feel like we this is one area of the body we have never talked about for the podcast before. We haven't talked about pigeon ever? Well, we've talked about pigeon, but in reference to the hips. Not in reference to the knee nerp. and how flexing the foot does nothing to protect the knee. Nerp, nerp, nerp. Nope. Oh my god. We have heavens. not. But I'm going to quickly just give the, the shameless plug before we start, which is that your injuries program, Preventing Common Yoga Injuries, is starting next week. Yes. Starting on Tuesday. So you can still register. I think it's starting actually on Monday. No, we're rolling out the content on Tuesday. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you can still register by going to jasonyoga.com slash injuries. Perfect. If you are interested. Yeah. And you'll get, you can get all the details and info there. Yes. Yes. And I think that's the reason, you know, you and I, when we're on this podcast, we always try to do topics that are like immediate to us and like current and relevant. And whether it was the sequencing course or whether it's this injury management course, my mind is so fully absorbed in the development of these content of this content for months in a row that it's just so fresh in mind. It's the thing that is obviously like it's what I'm talking about in social media. It's what we're talking about here because that's where all of my attention and kind of research and development is. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I look to as a yoga teacher is not just what is the subject matter, but also how do we learn and what are the most effective ways to learn and what are the most effective ways to teach. And I've always thought that thinking about postures in isolation is a mostly ineffective and inefficient way. But that's just what I asked you to do for this podcast. Well, <laughs> no, 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 not, not completely. Because so essentially, right, what I do in pretty much every one of my courses, but especially this one, is I want us to think about posture families. So for example, we are going to talk about bridge, but the dynamics of bridge as it relates to the knee joint are the same as upward bow. They're the same as camel pose. They're the same as bow pose. They're the same as side bow pose. They're the same as dancer's pose. Similarly, when we think about pigeon, the dynamics in the knee and pigeon are really similar to all of the half lotus and full lotus poses, right? 
the dynamics of the knee in Virasana are really similar to the dynamics of the knee in Vajrasana and Heron's pose, right? And so the point that I, the kind of broader point that we want to make is if you can understand and troubleshoot a key posture that is commonly troublesome or is tricky, then you can use the same understanding of how you troubleshoot that one for probably at least a dozen more poses. So wanting to get that concept across, instead of thinking like, oh, we got to memorize a technique of how to deal with the knee in bow and bridge and upward bow, it's the same thing. Right. It's just a different order of magnitude. It's the same fundamental dynamic. It's just a different order of magnitude. It's like running two miles instead of running one mile. It's the same underlying concepts. So we want to have that more kind of expansive Mm -hmm. understanding of things. Okay. Yeah. All right, we're going to start with pigeon. Oh, right that's the it. tough one. You want to start with pigeon? Should, we can start with, you want to start with bridge? No, I'm not backing down. All right. <laughs> now that you put I mean, me on the spot, I'm not backing um, that's down. That's right. Spotlight on you. Okay. So let me start with the red herring, right? That phrase always confuses me. It does? I don't, I, I always have to look it up. I really don't know what it means. Oh, okay. So the red herring is the, is you know, like when you read it. No, No. it's not really the scapegoat necessarily. It's a little bit different. So you know when you read a thriller or you watch a thriller and it's too early in the episode and you're like, oh, Mr. Clark did it. Oh my gosh, Mr. Clark did it, right? So the, the author is kind of feeding you a little bit of misinformation to make it seem like this person is going to be the person that is the problem or that did the issue. But then later on, you, you so look at the clock. that's the red herring? Yeah, that's the red herring. <gasps> Thank you. Yeah. For ex- I yeah. literally So it's not no the fall guy. Ex- that's different than the fall guy, okay. right? The okay. fall guy is the person that takes the blame who is blameless. Yeah, okay. Right? Okay. So the red herring never actually takes the blame. It's just that you, you look at it, it's a two-hour film, and you're 20 minutes in, and you're like, I think this person did it. I guarantee you he didn't do it. Right. So the red herring of pigeon pose knee savior of technique is to flex the foot, which like the literally does nothing. Oh, no, the front foot. The front, front foot. Flex the front foot. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and let's let's talk about why it, it is not likely to do something, okay? So when you have the front foot flexed in pigeon pose, which, which actually, FYI, I always flex my front foot in pigeon pose. I almost always tell my students to flex the front foot in pigeon pose. But that's not a function of, staf- of safety or stability. That's a function of sensory continuity. Because when you engage the limbs and when you engage the hands and the feet, that's kind of sending your brain space to the far reaches of the body. And it just tends to make the posture a little bit more lively and a little bit more engaged and a little bit more distributed for our sensory awareness. So I'm not telling people not to flex their front foot. I'm totally a fan of it. It's just that it's very unlikely that flexing the front foot is going to have a measurable impact on the knee, but there are other things that will have a measurable impact on the knee. Now, the reason it's not likely to have a significant impact on the knee is all of the musculature that actually flexes the foot, that dorsiflexes the foot, not one millimeter of that musculature actually crosses the knee. So all of the musculature that flexes the foot lives below the knee joint. It lives on the tibia, the shin bone or below. It doesn't cross the knee. 
meaning it doesn't have a direct impact on that joint. Secondarily, people will say, well, you know, it kind of, it engages the fascia, so it creates a little bit more tension. That might be the case, but we have to consider the underlying forces that are at play in the knee when it's unhappy in pigeon. And those are rotational forces, and rotational forces are really strong. A little bit of rotational torque goes a long way, which means that if you have someone that has dissonance in their knee in pigeon pose, a little bit more tonality of the fascia that crosses the knee is profoundly unlikely to be substantial enough mm. to have a measurable impact on the knee. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay. So what I want to do is I want to understand, and here's part of, here's to me what I see is like a really big fundamental problem is that oftentimes in the yoga community, we try to memorize solutions or tricks instead of just understanding the underlying dynamics that are creating the problem. So instead of thinking to myself, oh, I need to flex the foot, what I need to think to myself is, what is the problem? Like, what is the most likely problem that is creating pain in the knee in pigeon pose? And it's pretty straightforward, which is that the thigh bone and the shin bone are working at odds with one another, that the thigh bone and the shin bone are usually not in the same plane and they don't have the same amount of stress being transmitted through them. And so there is too much rotation or too much adduction at the knee joint, okay? Now, the knee joint is not a pure hinge. The knee joint, especially when it's bent, allows and encourages some amount of rotation. But oftentimes, I would say pretty much every time I've ever experienced this with a student, which is probably thousands, if not tens of thousands of specific instances. The discomfort in the knee and pigeon is being produced because in simple terms, there's a twist that's happening in the knee. It's being torqued. Flexing the foot isn't going to do really much to change that torque. In fact, flexing the foot can potentially add to that torque. But there is something that can reduce the torque entirely. It can remove it entirely. Tell us, tell us, what is it? It is keeping the shin and the thigh in the exact same plane as each other. So this is where it's difficult to describe, okay? So if anyone out there understands a 90-90 sit, this is what it is. So you start in a 90-90 sit. So th let me say one more thing, which is as part of the evidence that the issue in the knee is a rotational or an adductive stress, the discomfort in the knee is almost always in the exact same place, which is the medial knee. It's on the inside of the knee. It's almost never on the front of the knee. It's not on the back of the knee. It's on the inside of the knee. And when it's not on the inside of the knee, it's on the outside of the knee. So knowing that it's on the outside of the knee or the inside of the knee tells us a lot about the kinds of stressors that are there. It tells us that it's an adductive stress. It means it's that shin bone is being pulled towards the center line relative to the thigh, or it's being twisted. Mm -hmm. It has rotational torque, okay? So if you are experiencing that discomfort, getting into the pose 
from down dog is super, super hard. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to get to an angle of the leg from downward facing dog that's helpful. So what I do is I have, let's say the right leg is forward in pigeon and it's the right inner knee or the right outer knee that's problematic. So I have people just literally sit down and then I have them lean all the way to the outside of their right hip, right? Just like lean all the way over and then take the right knee at a 90 degree angle. Mm -hmm. So the front shin is parallel to the front of the mat the outside of the shin or the outside of the thigh is parallel to the side of the mat. The outside of the right shin and the outside of the right thigh and the outside of the right hip are in contact with the ground, right? And what this does is this keeps the shin and the thigh in the exact same plane, which means they can't rotate and there can't be adductive pressure that's being transmitted through the knee because they're on the same thing. They're on the same floor. Now, when this happens, your hips are not going to be level with each other. So this is gonna be a little bit of a yoga rule break because you're gonna be sitting all the way to the outside of the right hip and that left hip is gonna be a little bit up, okay? And then from there, um, you just slide the back leg back a little bit towards a conventional pigeon pose. One more thing on this, which is, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, my hips aren't flexible enough to get the front shin parallel to the front of the mat and the front thigh perpendicular to the mat. My hip isn't flexible enough to get that knee to a 90 degree angle. Right. And the answer is that is correct if you're coming from pigeon. I have never in my life not seen someone be able to get to that position huh. if they start on the outside of the hip. Because if you start on the outside of the hip, just leaning on it, I wish everyone could watch, but I want you to see it so okay. you can corroborate it. So what we're talking about is we're talking about like this. So now I'm just sitting to the outside of my right hip. My front shin is yeah. parallel to the front of the mat. My front thigh is, per is parallel to the side of the mat. My front knee is 90 degrees. And I press that leg down and then I sneak the back leg a little bit towards pigeon and lean forward. So you don't necessarily have to straighten the back leg. You don't. Leg. Okay. That makes sense. Which yeah. is where which is where you get in the functional movement world, the 90-90 sit, where you keep the back knee at 90 degrees and you lean forward and you use your arms for support. So this is a really, really successful way of doing it. So I just want to go back to where you said thigh and shin in the same plane. What do you mean by that? Like I, I, I understand what, how it looks and what, but what to do, but I just don't understand that description. So I told you, you picked a hard one. This is a, this is a, we, when are we starting our video like podcast, Andrea? <laughs> I wish this was on film. Yeah. Do you mean um, like, so it's not like Let's that? keep it simple. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we do need to be on film. <laughs> <laughs> so basically you mean literally in space, the thigh and the shin are, are level. They're level because they're yeah. both on the ground. But a lot of times in pigeon pose, the shin bone and the thigh bone are not level. Because? Because yeah. the hip is elevated a little bit. Okay. Or people will be like, oh, well, let's put a block or a blanket underneath the hip. That's fine for other reasons. But if your hip is elevated on a block or a blanket and your knee is on the ground, then your front thigh is not level with your front shin, which means you can induce rotational torque in that hip yeah. or in that knee, uh -huh. right? And so this is just a, it's a really tricky one 
But this is literally, I'm, this is not, okay, we just ran into our friend Matt, okay? Matt has a severe meniscus injury. He's just starting to walk again. Matt, since his severe meniscus injury, has been doing pigeon pose with me this way. Oh, okay. Okay, I have never in my life come across a knee that cannot do pigeon pose pain-free this way. I love it. Never. You sound like a real yoga teacher right now. Never. <laughs> And I'm the only person that can teach it. And I'm the only one with the answers. And send me your cash. (laughs) All right. Let's move on to the next pose. Seriously? Yes. Because I know that you could go wax on for another 40 minutes, but my job is to keep it moving. Edit. Mm -hmm. Unless you really have something you must say. No. Okay. So next pose. Uh, Bridge? Oh, there is one more thing I want to say. Your hip, like I said earlier, your hips are not going to be level in this version of the posture. Okay. Right. Okay. And someone might think to themselves, well, then that's that's bad for the sacroiliac joint. And the answer is it's definitely not bad for the sacroiliac joint if you're taking it as a forward fold. But I wouldn't do pigeon pose as a back bend with the setup that I'm describing. Oh, okay. I you know what you. I mean? I, I wouldn't you. I wouldn't come up yeah, I gotcha. into a back bend because your pelvis is going to be really asymmetrical in this version. We could the, take some photos of you doing this. It's not gonna be they aren't guys, they're not gonna be the prettiest photos. Hey, if I'm in it, it's gonna be pretty. But we could let you wanna take some photos after this? I don't, but we will. <laughs> Let's move on to the next pose. Okay. So we got that, right? Yeah. Do it Hips as a forward bend. Don't do it as a back bend. Okay. If you have to do a back bend and pigeon pose and your knee hurts, pick a different pose. Got it. Yeah. Bridge, bow, wheel, natarajasana, all of these things, okay? Now, what's interesting here is let's start with where people feel the pain in these poses. Inner knee. Inner knee, inner or front. front. of the knee. Yeah. It's always the front of the knee. The, these poses are my nemesis. Yeah, so it's me. always the front of the knee but it's not always dead center front of the knee. It can be a little bit to the medial side of the front or a little bit to the lateral side of the front, but it's it's almost never pure inner knee, pure outer knee. It's never back of knee. And so that discomfort should tell us a little bit about the stress that's being transmitted through that region and how we manage that stress, okay? Now, when it comes to these postures, There's a really critical thing to understand, which is how the quadriceps are working, okay? Imagine me in supta virasana, or imagine me in like low lunge quad stretch, reaching back and stretching my quads. In those postures, low lunge quad stretch, supta virasana, I'm stretching my quadriceps, but my quadriceps are not engaged, right? They're not firing. They're not acting. They're not doing an action. They're receiving a length, right? Now, if you compare that to the bridge pose, the bow pose, the wheel family, it's very different because in that family, the quadriceps are having to lengthen. They're having to stretch out because the hip in all of those poses is extending, which means the quads are lengthening, especially the quad that is a hip flexor, the rectus femoris. But are the quads working in that posture, in those postures? And the answer is yes. So that's really the big thing that we want to consider when, as it relates to the knees, which is in this family of postures, the quadriceps are undergoing a very specific demand. 
they are going through the demand of eccentric strength. They're going through the demand of they're having to stretch out while they are working really hard, while they're performing an action. And being flexible while you're performing an action versus being flexible while you're not performing an action is a very different function, okay? So a lot of times what'll happen in this situation is when you have quadriceps that have insufficient eccentric strength, meaning they don't have the correct ratio of strength in their stretched position for a posture, then what tends to happen is it creates excessive stretch or it creates excessive pull at the front of the knee on those tendons, okay? So when you're in bridge pose and the inside front of the knee or the front or the outside of the knee hurts, in most situations, that's because the quadriceps are being asked to stretch and engage to a degree that they cannot tolerate. And that's creating irritation where the quad blends into the front of the knee. Okay. Okay? Yeah. So the reason that this is so important, instead of just saying, okay, well, this is what we should do, we have to understand the concept. So now we start to say to ourselves, okay, the quads can't do what I'm asking them to do. So I have a couple of options. Okay, my first option I think is the best option, which is to get help from somewhere else, okay? So you know how pretty much every day of our lives we have to move a table? Yes. Okay, this is like, this is Andrea and I's COVID life, okay? Because every room is a multi-function room in our lives and the dining room slash office up front is where we- Where you film. Where I film, Yeah. okay? And I have to move the table. But the table is too big for me to move alone. Mm -hmm. So what do I need? <laughs> You're always like, Andrea, can you help me move the table? Yeah, I need help yep. because I can't do it myself, okay? And if I tried to do it myself, I would be fine, but the floor would not. Something would be screwed up, right? So this is kind of similar when it comes to a lot of things in yoga, but it's definitely the case when it comes to your knees in this family of poses, which your quads need help. And where do the quads get the greatest amount of help from in these poses? Your glute max. You're knowing how to use your extensors. So what do we wanna do in this family to alleviate the excessive burden on the quadriceps in the short term? In the short term, we need the quads need help. What's the best muscle group that's gonna help them? Glute max. Why? Because that's its job. Glute maxes has three main jobs, but one of those main jobs is to extend the hips and to support the weight of the pelvis in that plane, okay? Now, the second thing is, how do the glutes become most properly engaged in those postures to remove the stress from the knee? The answer is the feet almost always have to go a little bit wider. So when you take the feet a little bit wider than hip width apart, the glutes can work more and there is less tension that's being transmitted through the quad. Hmm. So taking the feet a little bit wider offloads the stress from the quadriceps. It doesn't remove it. There's still a ton of stress, but, you, but now you're no longer overworking the quad and therefore getting pull at the front of the knee or the outside of the knee or the inside of the knee. 
but you've brought the glutes online and how have you brought them online? A, you stop not trying to use them because it's not like 1994 anymore. And then secondly, you've taken the feet a little bit wider and taking the feet wider does two things. One, it can, it typically helps to engage the posterior part of the hip, but also two, there's one more little nuance with the knees, which is under tension, the kneecaps for some bodies shifts a little bit laterally. Hmm. Okay. So when the kneecap shifts a little bit laterally, it can pull against or it can push against. Um, so the kneecap lives in this little groove on the femur. It's like, uh, I always think of it as kind of like a monorail system, right? It's like uh, the kneecap lives and moves up and down in this little groove. But under certain situations, the kneecap can get pushed against the sides of that groove and that creates pain and inflammation. It's usually really quite sharp, hmm. okay? When you take the feet a little bit wider and even slightly turn the feet out, and again, I'm not saying roll to the outers of the feet, I'm saying turn the feet slightly out, then that in almost all situations significantly decreases that lateral pull. Mm -hmm because there's less tension in the lateral part of the quads, which means it's, it's not pulling that kneecap laterally as much. Mm -hmm. And almost always the pain is gone. Yeah. And then what happens? There's a mental pain. And the mental pain says, but I'm not supposed to do this pose this way. Yeah. Because we've been given wrong information. And have I given people wrong information? I've given tens of thousands of people the wrong information. <laughs> because information gets updated. You know what I mean? And that's one of the reasons as teachers, we have to keep learning. It's one of the reasons as students, we have to keep learning. It's one of the reasons as students, we have to say to ourselves, hey, the thing that I got taught by that awesome, loving, amazing teacher seven years ago, maybe there's some technical enhancements or improvements where, where, na where now we're thinking about things differently. Mm -hmm. You know, like pretty much in all phases of the world, we think about things a little bit differently from time to time. So I don't really even look back on those years of saying you have to keep the thighs parallel and you cannot engage your glutes, right? I, that, I said that forever. I was wrong. But I was working with the most known sense of right at that time. Mm -hmm. But we've continued to learn and grow and take on new information from experience. And to say, oh, actually the rule of keeping the thighs parallel to each other and feet hip width apart is a totally good rule if it works really well for your body. Mm -hmm. But if it doesn't work well for your body, i.e. you're getting acute pain in your knees, that's bad alignment for you. And you need to consider the goal is not to keep the thighs parallel and the feet hip width. The goal is to do the posture in an equanimous and sustainable way which means that for many people, you just gotta take the feet a little bit wider. Yeah. Turn them out a little bit and use your glutes. And, and I, I would say this is, that is now more and more becoming standard. And it is standard in pretty much all other movement worlds. This kind of a thing that because yoga has such tradition and legacy, that sometimes with regards to technique, it can be a little slow to evolve. You know what I mean? It's like the trapping of a culture that has more historical roots. Yeah. 
you know, or it's kind of the trapping of like a bigger industry and a bigger business. It can kind of make it a little bit slower to pivot over time. So I can, I can feel in my body that what you're suggesting would feel really good in bridge and in order for Dhanurasana. How would you suggest that someone change their alignment for something like bow? Let the knees go wider in bow, which is what everyone always wants to do anyways. Okay. You just have to do it when the yoga teacher's not looking. <laughs> and then, and then I used how? to do that with Rodney all the time. <laughs> I would like look around and be like, all right, he's not, he's not, he's not watching. Cause, because he of all people way more than me had an eye. Man. Yeah, he, he did. Only yeah. I have an, I have an incredible eye when I'm working with one person at a time, Yeah, but working with a big group, I, I, I just don't have that ability that he has. So what about Natarajasana? Same. You just take the leg out wide. Yeah. You take the thigh. leg out wide. Yeah. It takes, yeah. it goes a little bit wider. Okay. Now, again, there's a couple of things, which is let's remember I'm not suggesting these changes as a default position. I still, as a default position, take the feet hip width apart. I still keep the thighs neutrally rotated. I actually have never really liked the teaching of internal rotation in backbends. That's kind of, it's, I don't think it's wrong. It's not my preference. So my default position is still pretty standard, but I know well enough to know that when the default thing doesn't work, especially when it's a pull on the front of the knee, then letting the thigh go a little wider is almost always a, a, an immediately helpful thing for the knee. And then the next thing to bring up about is it doesn't have any correlation to a negative consequence to the lower back or the sacrum. It, it literally defies all sense of mechanical plausibility to think that taking the feet a little bit wider jams or compresses the lower back. What jams and compresses the lower back is going too far in the lower back, not taking the feet a little bit wider. Mm -hmm. That's not a mechanism. The glute doesn't, the glute max does not cross into the lumbar spine. The external rotators do not, they don't cross into the lumbar spine, which doesn't mean they don't affect the lumbar spine. It means that they don't have a direct impact they can have an indirect impact, but the indirect impact for most people is going to increase the stability of the lower back. It's going to increase the muscular action of the lower back, but it's profoundly unlikely to, to compress it or jam it. Now, all of that being said, the individual doing the posture ultimately makes the choice, mm -hmm. right? So I, I think the last thing on this before we, do, we look at the last pose, which is kind of the simplest of all of them. Virasana or Vajrasana. The last thing to say is this, which is as we continue to learn and grow, our toolkit and our ability to respond to a situation and our sense of what is true and accurate should be increasing, not decreasing. So it's not even that I think not using the glutes is wrong, although it's not my preference. It's not even that I think thighs parallel, feet parallel is wrong. I'm saying there are just so many situations that that doesn't work for. And a lot of times we were told to do something because if we do something else, bad things will happen. And we just have to get, we just have to transcend that mi mindset and know that there are more than one way to 
do a single posture or a family of postures, especially if the way you're doing it chronically is not going to help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. You're ha- you're much happier in backbends when you take the feet wide. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I'm I am that person you're talking about where I used to feel my the pain on the front of the knee as well as the inside. And when you just described the the knee kind of moving laterally, a hundred percent that's what used to happen to yeah. me. I never knew it until you just said it, but it was like during that pose and after, I just had a feeling of just something is not right. What's wrong with my body? Yeah, and it was always my right knee. Never my left. So yes, I feel so much better when my legs are wider and my feet are slightly turned out. Yeah, I think I think that's a thing to mention right now is, you know, I'm not a lot of times we'll take something to an extreme, especially if we don't agree with that position. So we like I'm not suggesting you turn you're trying to get your feet to first position, right? What I'm suggesting is that you allow your feet to stand a little bit more naturally mm-hmm. on the ground. And I just want to say that in, in no human, I shouldn't say in no human, it's very rare for the feet parallel to each other to be a normal, natural, organic standing position. Mm-hmm. It just actually isn't. Yeah. We stand with the feet a little turned out. You can even look at the bottom of the foot and see the contact points and you'll see that the contact point exactly the contact points of the feet are oriented in such a way that it is very clear our species has evolved to stand with the feet ever so slightly turned out Mm -hmm. and we're not talking about donald duck or charlie chaplin or first position we're Mm -hmm. talking about a tiny bit yeah um and i would say the last thing on this which is all of them is just play around literally play around i think that's one of the reasons too where i feel like I've gotten really good over the years at helping individuals manage some of the issues that they have is I actually really believe yoga is not mostly a memorization process, but it's a trial and error self-inquiry process. And then if we cut ourselves off from that process as students or teachers, and we default to to memorization, we're not really doing anyone any service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Virasana is pretty simple. So kneeling. So essentially what I mean by Virasana or Vajrasana or any of the poses that include it is that for many people, just deep knee flexion, just bending the knees fully is really difficult, especially when you have your body's weight on it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm not talking about the contact pressure of the knee and the ground. There's a lot of people, there's a, there's a chapter I have in this training on managing kneeling issues where people have usually like a a patellar femoral issue where the patella, where the kneecap and the thigh aren't fitting well together, or there's degradation in that structure, or people have what's called pre-patellar bursitis, where one of the bursts of the knee is really inflamed. And in all those situations, when the knee touches something, it's like it's like the knee is on gravel or glass. Mm. It's just so uncomfortable. I have that in my elbows. Like I can't do forearm balance right anymore. (laughs) It it might be a little inflammation of the elbow itself of of the elbow. Anyways, so what I'm talking about is just deep knee flexion, okay? Now, to me, there's two things, but first a really quick concept, which is unlike the demands in the quadricep, in the bow, bridge, wheel family, 
in the kneeling families, the quadriceps have to be a little bit flexible, but they're not engaging, mm-hmm. right? So in those active back bends, the quads are having to work and perform an action while they're stretching. That's hard, okay? That's a that's a dual function of that of those tissues. But when someone is someone is just trying to kneel, right? Or have full knee flexion, um, the quadricep, especially three of the four quadriceps, the vasti group, they have to be flexible, but they don't have to act. So this is a situation where more passive flexibility, more passive stretching of the quads can be really helpful. It's usually a simpler thing to resolve. Now, if we think about where the discomfort is in the knee when people are in full flexion, it's usually in one of two places. It's usually in the front of the knee or it's in the back of the knee, okay? So it's either the excess pull and tension on the front of the joint or it's the excess compression on the back of the joint. Either the stuff on the front is getting pulled too much or the stuff on the back is getting squished, okay? So the easiest thing to do to manage both of these situations is so ridiculously simple, but it's just literally to elevate your pelvis so that the knee joints don't have to flex as much. Um, and I, in most situations, I have a preference towards elevating the pelvis on a firm surface, not a soft surface. If you only have blankets, they're fine, but blankets are compressible. So it's really nice to have a block that you can be on or two blocks or three blocks. Okay, but there's one more little nuance that I think is is worthy of our consideration. Because a lot of times what teachers and students will do in this family is they'll wedge a blanket or a towel or a rolled up yoga mat behind the knees. And that often works, but it usually works much more if the discomfort in the pose is in the back of the knee. So if the discomfort in the pose is from compression of any of the posterior ligaments or any of those posterior tendons or the posterior part of the capsule, then putting a a rolled or a folded blanket behind the knee kind of gaps the, the back of the knee, right? It decreases the compression of the back of the knee joint between the thigh bone and the shin bone because there's a, it's a spacer, right? So when the pain is on the back of the knee, putting a spacer behind the back of the thigh is really helpful. When the pain is in the front of the knee, that's probably not going to be as helpful. Because when you put a little spacer behind the back of the knee, you actually increase the stretch on the front of the knee. So when you decompress the back of the knee, you actually put a little bit more tension in the front of the knee. Mm. So you can experiment in these situations. Like, here's the thing, if it works, it works. But in more often than not, the best solution to compression in the back of the knee is to put a a spacer there. And the best solution to pain in the front of the knee is just to lift your butt higher. Yeah, interesting. I There's one other thing that helped me because I, for a long time, fear us and I was really hard for me. It was never hard for me to sit, just to sit on my shins in Vajrasana, but to bring the feet apart and sit in between the feet and Virasana was really hard. 
So it involved, and this is from Richard Rosen. That's how I learned it. Elevating the pelvis. And then I never realized my ankles were really tight. So putting a folded blanket underneath my hole from knee to shin so that my ankles were off the blanket, but the rest of my leg was legs were on the blanket. Those two things together like helped so much so that over time I could eventually sit between my feet without any pain. That's a really good setup. And I've been thinking about this. I was talking about this in the course, which is, I don't know if you know, Andrea, but when I started doing yoga, I, I wasn't super flexible. Oh, really? Yeah. You were, I thought you were like Cirque du Soleil level. No, like I totally wasn't. I totally wasn't. <laughs> I don't know if you know, but I'm still not, I'm still not super, super flexible. But not bad. No, you're not I bad. Can get my, I can get my way around my body. All right. Yeah. But, but I have laxity in my knees and flexion. So one of the things I've always been able to do is sit on the ground between my heels. Well, your heels are so Virasana. tiny too that you can That's an inside joke. Between let's, your let's, tiny uh, heels. Let, let's keep that. It's an inside joke that has no truth except in the mind of Cindy Crandall, a.k.a. Jason's mother. Yeah, Jason's mother. We should have Jason's mother on the <laughs> oh, podcast Oh, my God. she. W- I mean, how would we get her to stop talking? I don't know. It would be amazing. Um, but... I don't sit on the floor in Virasana anymore, even though I can. I, I love don't, how you just avoided that completely. I don't okay. think it's sensible for uh-huh. most bodies. It's hyperflexion of the knee joint. Mm-hmm. So even though I can do it, like I used to, what I was getting at is I used to love that because it was the thing that I could do. Yeah, you have a beautiful, I'm now remembering like a beautiful Virasana. Exquisite. Exquisite. It's princely. It was. It's regal. It was. And, and you like, put that man, is literally... Is that man the missing part of the British royal family? <laughs> no, Charlemagne. <laughs> Charlemagne, the friend. <laughs> Another Fair Crandall family. Oh, my God. Ins- inside family joke. Um, yes, according, if you ever meet Jason's father, ask him about their, their descendants from Charlemagne. Okay, you could do... I'm just rubbing my now. face. No, I'm just... It's just that whole idea. You know, it's like family as much as you love them, just sometimes the... Th- the thought of you just get tired. Well, it's amazing because you have Charlemagne on the one side and then you have Tom Petty on the Tom other. Tom Petty on the other side. It's like the perfect blending of the two, right. you know, worlds. Also, we are just as as um, ethnically mixed as any melting pot could be, which is not really the case. <laughs> okay, your Bharad Vajas. You could do, I'm going to get Dude, back to Dude, I can crush these. Like the you give me a Virasana pose. With the with the hand under the underneath knee, the knee, looking over the opposite shoulder, gorgeous. My gosh. that's why I wanted to marry you. I know. I mean, so this is this is my wheelhouse. Oh god, this is what I'm getting to. Is this is my wheelhouse. I don't sit on the ground in Virasana anymore. I don't think it's a sensible thing for the knees, even though it is so gorgeous. It's it's just straightforward hyperflexion of the knee. Yeah. It's 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 not coming from anywhere or anything other than the joint structure going into a non-normative or functional range. Interesting. It's just, so I still sit in Virasana all the time, but I always elevate my pelvis. And the difference between Virasana and Vajrasana, they're both knee flexion poses, but when you're in Virasana, you're sitting between the heels, either on the ground or on something. When you're in Vajrasana, you're sitting on the heels. 
So when you're in virasana sitting between the heels, that induces internal rotation of the femur. So virasana internally rotates the thigh bones, but vajrasana is a neutral position for the thigh bones. So I still really like virasana. It's actually my preferred uh, way to sit for seated meditation, um, but I don't sit as low as I can. I, I just going into that non-functional range of the knees, I just, I'm not even saying it's bad or dangerous. I'm saying like for me, there isn't a point in my life to do something with my body that doesn't contribute to how my body actually works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. We're so practical these days. Oh my God. Those crazy kid days are gone. Seriously. When we used to do, wildly do virasana and I had my, yeah. And when I took that blanket away from under my shins, whoo, that was an exciting day. And I could actually- You still have tight ankles? I have to work. If, like I would, they they would go. My back ankles to... are so not tight. Look no, at those they're things. Not. Man. All right, enough. Oh yeah. You see yeah, those yeah. arches? My arches and my virasana. <laughs> you know when I was. He's gonna be at my gravestone. <laughs> when I was. He little... was bad at most things, but that virasana. <laughs> and his toe point was amazing. When I was a little girl, I used to dream of a man who could. Then <laughs> <laughs> point his toes like. <laughs> Well, maybe you did. Maybe. maybe. Wait a second. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wait a second. Clearly, most of our audience is hung up already. But um, so wait a second. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. No, wait. You were, weren't you into like Barishnikov? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, this is thing. So Barishnikov. Tell me he didn't have disproportionately long legs. No, the one who I was really into was, um, oh my God, I'm blanking on his name right now. I was obsessed with him. But anyway, yeah, Barishnikov, yeah. But the, um, How about the toe? But but could he point his toes into the have? He could certainly point his toes. It was the director arches. of ABT that I was, he became the director of ABT. My friends out there, you know who I'm talking about. Peter, oh my gosh, weird. Anyway, yes, I was, I did love ballet men but then again i also loved wham george michael so you know you just it was i had a really broad range you have a, you have a broad <laughs> palette a very broad range you have a broad palette <laughs> i'm just remembering when you because you're bringing up like you know who my I had like um, little, you know how people kids put posters up in their room i had like yeah. posters of wham all over no you know who i had like a major crush on when i was a Samantha when i was a kid Fox. no that's a whole nother thing <laughs> Uh, Christy McNichol. Oh God, yes, people loved her. What was she in? She was like Eight the is girl, girl next door. I don't remember that show. No, no, I. Oh. Like, <laughs> you are literally like, are you seventy-five she... years old? What is? You know what I realized the other day? What? I have now aged in to not knowing the proper name for anything. I mean, like the AirPods. <laughs> yeah. Sophia's constantly correcting us. Where are the earpods? Where are the earbuds? She's like, AirPods. She's so irritated. She was like, yesterday I was talking to her. She's like, next thing you're gonna next next year you're just gonna call them earpuds. <laughs> what was she on? Was Christy McNichol on I think eight is enough? Maybe. That might have been. She might have been like a girlfriend. She was not in the family, that's for sure. Was she? I don't remember. Oh, I don't God. remember what she was on. I don't know. Ginger, pull that up. What was Christy McNichol on? 
Can you Google that? All right. It's time to close this out. All right. Thanks so much, Jason. You're welcome. Thanks, as always, for listening. You can find show notes for this episode at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 214. And if you are interested in Jason's injuries program, you can go to jasonyoga.com slash injuries. Until next week, enjoy your practice. <laughs>